0: I recently was at a play at Moonlight Amphitheater. Peter Pan. Did anyone go see this? Yeah, it was. Wasn't it so good? It was so good. And uh, so I show up, and obviously I know it's a play. Like I know it's not real, but the performances were so good. And things were done so well that during the play, I totally got wrapped up into it. And I was totally believing it. Like, I was believing the performances. I was believing the characters. I was just so stoked on this play. But then it got to this one part in the play. And if you've seen this part... Uh, if you've seen Finding Neverland, or if you've ever seen the Peter Pan play, there's a certain part in the show of the traditional Peter Pan play where Tinkerbell dies. She drinks poison to save Peter Pan from drinking the poison. So she falls dead on the stage, and usually it's someone with a standing in the balcony with a little like laser pen, and that's Tinkerbell. It's just this green dot on the stage. But she flutters down and lands on the stage, and she dies. And then Peter Pan comes out, and he's like oh no, Peter Pan's dead, but listen, if you guys clap your hands and say, I do believe in fairies, I do, I do, then Peter, or then Tinkerbell will come back to life. And at that point, I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like, I can't do this. And I'm looking at all these little kids, and they're like, oh, I do believe in fairies, and they're like jumping up and down and freaking out, and I'm just sitting there like, okay. Like, this is like the audience participation part of the play. I don't believe anymore. For me, you actually broke the believability, and now I'm skeptical and cynical and sitting there with my arms full and going, when is this going to be over? And I think sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we're unbelieving believers, Where we believe in God, I mean, we say, I know God's real. I know he exists. I know he loves me. But then we're called into situations in our life where things go hard, where things go wrong, and all of a sudden, we don't really believe anymore. I mean, we do, but we don't. We're kind of caught in the middle. And in the story we're going to see in John chapter 16, the disciples find themselves caught in the middle of being unbelieving believers. So we're going to dive right in to the text. Uh, Look at verse 25. John chapter 16, verse 25. Jesus says this to his disciples. He knows he's going to die. He's about to get arrested. Judas is about to betray him. Jesus is speaking words of hope and joy to the disciples as their whole world is falling apart. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, these, these things I've spoken to you in figurative language. Jesus is talking about, if you've ever studied the Gospels, Jesus is always talking in parables. He's always talking in mysteries. He's always speaking in these weird sayings, and people are always like, even his best friends are like, what is he talking about? But Jesus is saying, listen, guys, these things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father." In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. No, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. I come forth from the Father, and I have come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father." Verse 29, his disciples said, See, now you're speaking plainly and you're not using figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came from from God. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed the hour is coming yes has now come that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone and yet i am not alone because the father is with me these things i have spoken to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tri- tri- oh can't talk sorry in this world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer i have overcome the world okay so again, I think it's really easy. I, I think in any Bible study, the, I don't know if you're this way, but for me, the part where we read the actual Bible verses is usually the part that I tune out the most at. I don't know if that's you, but there's something about it where when the pastor gets up and reads it, it's just kind of like, eh, I'm, just gonna, I'm not really going to pay attention because it just seems kind of boring sometimes, and it's not. There's so much here that I don't want you to miss, so we're just going to focus on this section. This is the end of the chapter, and we're going to dive into it. So I think there's something really humorous here, something really funny, because three times belief is mentioned. Check it out. So the first time belief is mentioned, Jesus is basically saying, you guys, my disciples, man, you guys are so good. Man, God is going to bless you guys because you believe in me. So it starts out very positive. Then the disciples talk about belief in the second part. They're saying, yes, Jesus, now you're speaking our language. You're telling us we're gonna be blessed. You're not speaking in riddles and parables. Like, Jesus, this is awesome. Like, because of this, we believe that you came from God. But then the third part, Jesus responds and says, oh, do you actually believe? Like, do you really believe? Isn't that funny? Jesus starts out, and he says, guys, you're going to be blessed because you love me, and you believed in me. And they're like, sweet, yes, we believe. And then Jesus is like, but do you really? Guys, but honestly, do you really believe? Because check this out. I can see the future, and I know you're going to abandon me. Straight up, you're going to leave me. When the, when the Romans come to capture me, you're just going to run off and bail. This, this section, it's, it's totally a paradox. It's, it's, this, it's this web of contradictions that the disciples find themselves caught in. And I think just like us, a lot of times right now we see the disciples acting as unbelieving believers. A lot of times we can be the same way. We can be caught in a web of contradictions. Take me, for example. There's times in my life where I'm like, man, I have faith in you, God. I love you, God. I hear a great Bible study, and I'm like, man, this this just encourages my faith. This strengthens me. Someone comes and gives me an encouraging word. I'm just like, yes, I have so much faith. But then I go on Chase.com, and I look at my bank account, and all of a sudden, I turn into an atheist in like one second. Like, I just lose my faith because I'm like, oh, no, I didn't know that's how I was doing financially. Maybe for you, you find yourself in a place where, you know, you're believing, you know, you're saying, you're singing in worship. And in that moment, whether it's at camp or here, you're lifting your hands and you're saying, thank you, thank you, Father, you're all I need. But then sin comes your way, knocks on your door, tempts you, and in that minute, you're an unbelieving believer, yeah, you believe in God, but you're unbelieving that he really can fulfill you better than those sins can. Sometimes at camp, we can hear messages and we can just say, God, you're so good. We can be around other believers and we're just like, God, you're so good. I believe. But then you go through a family crisis. Then something bad happens to someone in your family. Someone gets sick. Someone dies. dies parents are fighting, things are going wrong, and your response is, God, do you even care? Lord, do you even believe? A lot of times, we're believers on Sunday, but doubters on Monday. Sometimes, the word can sound so good, but then when real-life problems come, they make us question God's goodness and plan. And we're, natu- we're natural doubters, We're naturally doubters. Um, There's uh, some particular people in this room that I remember when you were much younger. uh, Those of you guys who are newer, you don't know, but I've been hanging out with this group of students since they were in children's ministry when I used to do puppet shows for them. And I remember sometimes babysitting some of you or hanging out with some of you guys in children's ministry or even hanging out with some of you guys in junior high. And the question, anytime I would tell you to do something, it was always, well, why? Why? But why? How come? Why? Why? Like, just... I don't know if that's you now, I don't know if you still react that way, but we're born natural doubters. We don't want to just trust, we don't want to just believe, we want to ask why, and it's the flesh. And the question is, like, how does God respond to this doubting in us? Um, I read a story about, like, the dictator leader of North Korea, um, the current president, I think Kim Jong-il? Un. Kim jong wow, you guys know. Yeah, some of you guys are students of his hairstyle, for sure. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I don't know why you're raising your hand, Joseph. Your haircut doesn't look like him. Um, but anyway, so uh, Kim Jong-un, <laughs> he uh, he was in a meeting, and one of his staff members disrespected him. He, like, didn't show belief in him. He doubted him. So, like, you know, I mean, if... Someone on my staff of volunteers who don't get paid and are awesome doubted me. I would try to talk to them and explain and pray with them. I know CEOs of big companies, like, like if Donald Trump, if someone uh, on, in, on his staff disobeyed him, he'd probably just go, you're fired. You're fired. It's going to be huge. Anyway. Um, but Kim Jong-un, his response was to take the guy outside, call the rest of the staff together, And then shoot him with an anti-aircraft gun, which is huge. (laughs) It's like a cannon. Like it's this. It's meant to like blow up a tank. He just blew this guy up. It's crazy. And if you think about it, God could do the same thing to us. I mean, He's God. Who are we to doubt God? He's the creator of the universe. If some of you were God, you would just. I mean, I I was playing Minecraft once with Justin and Kobe and Bradley, and they were basically the the gods of the little universe they created. Do you remember that? You guys are showing me Minecraft, and you were building this world, and, like, when you're creating all these characters, like, you can basically just destroy them if you want. If they doubt you, you could just blow them up with your Minecraft powers. But God doesn't do this to us. God responds to our doubt by offering us his gifts. It's crazy. In what other situation do you see, when you doubt someone, they respond with giving you gifts? He's a good father, and he loves giving us gifts. So let's look at some of these gifts that he gives us. Let's look at the hope for the unbelieving believer today. The first, I don't know what, why, but this slide makes me want, like, ribs from, like, a barbecue restaurant. I made it, and I was like, I'm super hungry right now. So let's get lunch after church. Anyway, in verse 26 through 28, let's focus on that. Verse 26 through 28, Jesus talks about giving them something. Look at it. So he says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you. So kind of weird wording. We don't talk like that here in America. But what Jesus is saying is, guys, there's coming a day where you won't even have to go through me to get to the Father, There's coming a day where the Holy Spirit will come to you, and you will have unlimited access to the Father. He will be with you, and you will be with him. It's going to be amazing. What Jesus is offering us, doubters, the disciples, doubters, is love and access. He's saying, guys, God will answer your prayers. God will hear your prayers, and he will answer them. Now, he's not always going to say yes, but The confidence to know that when you pray, you're not just shooting prayers up into the sky, but that God is listening, that's amazing. He's saying there's no middleman. You have direct access to the Father. Now, why does he give him this? What's the reason? We'll look at verse 27. He says, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and because you've believed that I come from God. So it's like Jesus is saying I'm blessing you guys because I know you love me, and if you guys remember a couple studies ago, Jesus says, what's love? It's not just a mushy feeling. Jesus says love, it's all tied up in obedience. So Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I say. You're not just a liker of Jesus, someone who scrolls through his sayings and hits the like button. You're a follower. So Jesus looks at the disciples, even though they're doubters. He says, guys, I know it's been hard for you, but you've obeyed me. You've followed me. You've listened to me. Sure, you've made mistakes along the way, and you're going to continue to make mistakes, but you're followers. Then he talks about belief. You have believed that I come from God, and belief is defined biblically not just as thinking about something and believing in it in your head, but belief is defined by faith in action. It's when you believe something, so you do it. It's not just looking at a plane and saying, this plane is the best plane. It's fantastic. It's got the greatest wingspan. It can go super fast. I believe this plane could take me across the world. It's actually stepping on the plane that makes you a believer in it. Not just knowing things about the plane, but stepping on it. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and says, God is going to bless you because you love me, you've obeyed me, and you believe. You actually have put your faith into action. You got on the plane. And the love Jesus talks about, it's a friendship love. He's saying, guys, you've grown in friendship with me over the years. You've believed me. You've put your faith into action. You left your nets. Those of you guys who are fishermen, you left your nets. Matthew, you left your spot as a tax collector. Simon, you left your spot as a political religious uh, religious zealot. You left these stations to follow me. You left everything. Now, what do we know? about the disciples. Right now in this section, they're getting praised. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys love me. You followed me. You obeyed me. What do we know? Well, what does Jesus talk about just in a couple of verses? They're going to abandon him. They're going, and it's not like Jesus is like buttering them up so he can let them down. He's not like, oh man, let me tell you, you guys are such good followers. I love you guys so much. And they're like, yeah, thank you so much, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, psych. You guys are going to abandon me. I hate you. Leave. Get out of my face. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus knows that they're gonna forsake him, and yet, look at what he's giving them. Unlimited access to the Father. Do you normally give unlimited access to people you can't trust? Do you? (laughs) Like, Like, someone that you don't trust Would you, like just someone that you know has gossiped against you and has been mean to you and has failed you, are you gonna like say, hey, I took the password off my phone and I'm logged into all my social media accounts? Here, have my phone, keep it for the weekend. Would you ever, to like someone you don't trust, give them unlimited access to your phone? Absolutely not. I wouldn't give someone I don't trust, and I can think of a few people I don't trust, not that I don't like them, but I can think of a few people I don't trust, I would not give them the keys to my house and car. It's not that I hate them, it's just I don't trust them to be responsible with it. And yet Jesus gives them unlimited access to the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. And just like he gives it to the disciples who failed them, he gives it to the next generation of disciples, you, who here's failed the Lord? You don't have to raise your hand. I know you have. I have too. We've all failed him. And yet God gives us unlimited access. God knows he can't count on us. He loves us, but he knows that he can't count on us. And yet he doesn't hold back his love. Who does that? Like who doesn't hold back when they know they can't count on you? Most people, if you're on a sports team, you become the quarterback when they know that you can handle it. You don't make the guy who can barely catch and trips every time he runs into the quarterback, and yet this is what Jesus is constantly doing. He's looking at people, failures, mess-ups like us, and saying, I'm gonna give you the ball, now run with it. Jesus says, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. And we ask the Lord, what if I doubt? What if I screw up? What if I make mistakes? And God looks at us, and he says, will. But I love you, and I'm trusting you, even though I know you're untrustworthy. God says, I'm here for you, and my love is unconditional. It's fantastic. But our unbelief constantly makes us doubt the Lord. Just recently, my wife was sick, very sick, with a kidney infection and she it was just gnarly. We had to go to the emergency room twice. I was at camp walking on stage and I got a phone call that she was in the emergency room and I started thinking of the worst. What if it's cancer? What if it's like something terrible? She had been sick for weeks and now she's in the ER. Like I I had to talk to Ben Corson and I was like, you have to go on stage and introduce yourself because if I go up on stage I'm gonna start crying. Like I was so nervous. I was so upset. And just, it was weeks, it was about two months of just trying to figure out what was wrong with her and going to the doctor and getting medicine and sometimes the medicine actually making her feel worse. And I remember just going through a lot of time where I was an unbelieving believer, just wondering, like, God, like, do you really believe what's best for me? Do you really know what's going on? Can I trust you? And I remember I had a moment, just of total doubt, where I was in the grocery store. And it was crazy, I was... I was. Uh, just buying groceries, and these two older people, this couple, this man and this woman, uh, this guy, I can't even remember his name, he's such a great guy, he's over here at the church working all the time, helping, volunteering, he's got a big bushy mustache, Um, just a sweet guy. And he comes up to me and he goes, son, your, your father told the church what's happening with, her, with your wife. We're so sorry. And I was like, yeah, man, thank you so much. Just be praying. And then he's like, well, let's pray right now. And before he gave me a chance to respond, him and his wife like totally put hands on me and started praying for me. And we were standing like right in the doorway of the grocery store. And people were like walking by us. And honestly, I felt so awkward I don't know if you've ever been prayed for in that kind of way like where it's just like we're just going for it. we don't care what's going on like it's not like hey let's go off in this little private corner like it's like no we're praying right now brother and they're just loud and laying hands on me and their eyes are closed and just clenched and and I it's like in that moment I was like I don't believe this is the best thing to do right now this is kind of awkward and I don't know and I just had this moment of unbelief where I cared more about, like, what we look like. And I was like, is this even going to work? Like, is God even going to listen to this in the middle of the grocery store aisle? And later on that day, I was thinking about it, and the Lord just spoke to me. And he's like, man, Aaron, you're so, you're, like, your unbelief is so strong. <laughs> like, why not just appreciate that people care enough to pray? Why not just appreciate that you have complete access, unlimited access to the Father, that you can pray in the middle of the grocery store doorway and God answers those prayers and listens to it. And he just he, the Lord blew me away that there are people who loved me enough, even though I don't really know them that well, they cared enough to pray for me in that moment. And it, it's in those moments where the Lord turns me from an unbelieving believer into a believing believer. And I hope today you're leaving changed. Maybe there's things in your life that you're being an unbelieving believer in. You know God's there, you know he's working, but you're doubting. Join the club. I think God wants to work on your hearts today, and I hope he is. So why do we doubt God? Why do we doubt him? It's so silly to doubt God. It's like, imagine there's somebody out there, and there is. You don't even have to imagine. There is. The strongest man in the world, Okay, the person who won the Guinness Book of World Records contest for the world's strongest man. Imagine you looked at that guy and you're like, hey, what's up, world's strongest man? And he's like, hey, uh, how's it going there? <laughs> Look what I can do. And he's like lifting up a car with one hand, you know, and you're just like, man, you're strong. And he's like, uh, hey, uh, what you got there? A little uh, box? You need help with that? And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't think you can help me with this box, sir. And it's like a 25 pound box. It's this 25-pound box, and you're like, I can't do it. I don't think you can either, world's strongest man, while he's bench-pressing cars. That's what we do to the Lord. Like, he's the God who created the universe, part of the Red Sea, saved a shepherd from a giant, delivered Daniel from the lion's den, and we look at him and we're like, oh, my personal issues are just too much for you, God. I'm not even going to bother praying because I don't know if you can handle it. He can. He can. And he wants to. He wants to help. I think a big part of our unbelief is sometimes we don't see instant results. We've got kind of a microwave mentality where it's like kind of like, oh, I know what to do. There's a formula. You stick your prayer in the prayer microwave. You press three. That means three days. If God doesn't answer my prayer, he doesn't exist. That's how we think sometimes. But no, God is always answering. He's always answering. And more often than not, his answer is not usually a quick yes or a quick no, but his answer is, I'm with you, I'm here, do not be afraid, you're going to get through this, trust me, it's so hard to trust, though. He wants to help, that's the next thing we're looking at. Jesus helps us with our unbelief. Look at uh, John 16, verse 29 through 30. So his disciples said to him, See now, Jesus, we like this language. You're talking about blessing us. You're speaking plainly, and you're not using a figure of speech. Now, we are sure that you know all things. We know that you're brilliant. Because you told us we're going to be blessed, we're like, this guy's a genius. He knows everything. Because it's just so funny. Right after Jesus talks about blessing them, they're like, you're so smart, Jesus. Because you're blessing us, this is awesome. And then Jesus' response after they say, like, oh, because you said that, now we believe. And then Jesus says... Do you? Do you really? Just the humor in this is so great. Do you really now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come. It's here that you will be scattered, each to his own. You'll go to your houses, and you're gonna leave me. He's saying, do you really believe? And maybe today, Jesus is saying to you, hey, do you really believe? The theologian Karl Barth said faith is literally being suspended in the dark. It's like being thrown into this free fall where you can't see the top and you can't see the bottom. And you're just falling and you're wondering, like, what's gonna happen? And the whole time God's like falling next to you and he's like, I'm here, it's gonna be okay. But in that moment, it's hard. It's hard to be suspended in the dark. You want to see the bottom. And the problem of being suspended in the dark is sometimes... You let go of God's hand and you fall. You sin, you make a mistake. You, you doubt that God's best is your best and you think I'm gonna try to get my own way out of this situation and you hit rock bottom. And the disciples were in that spot. The disciples were about to forsake him. They were all about to sin in a huge way. Like, I know you probably messed up this week and did something stupid. How bad would it be to abandon Jesus Christ on the night of his arrest? Like, that's a sin that I would probably feel like, I don't know if I can be forgiven for this one. I don't know if I can recover from this fall. The disciples were about to forsake him. And there's so many reasons why they shouldn't have. Remember when they first met Jesus? His first encounter with them, they're these fishermen. They're catching nothing. And Jesus says, hey, just throw your net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, no way, Jesus, you're a carpenter. Go build a bookshelf. I think I used this last week. But they're like, go, go get out of here, Jesus. You're a carpenter. And Peter's like, all right, guys, let's see if this guy knows what he's talking about. Takes the net on the other boat, on the other side, and now there's like a billion fish just like in the net. And they're like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. We will follow you. They've seen him at a wedding turn water into wine. Like, I can't do that. I can add like purple food coloring, you know, but I can't turn, I can't actually turn water into wine. Jesus does it. He defies the laws of metaphysical nature by turning water into wine. They watched him do this. Just recently, there were 5,000 people who needed food. Coming to hear Jesus speak, the disciples are freaking out Where are we gonna get food? I don't know. Here's a kid with a sandwich. I guess we can feed like two people, break the sandwich in half. Maybe we can feed four if we break. And Jesus is like, I got this. Next thing you know, Jesus keeps breaking the sandwich and somehow 5,000 people are fed. It's miraculous. And they've watched this. It's not like Jesus showed up on the first day and said, I'm the son of God. And then the next day he's getting arrested and he's like, don't worry, I'm coming back. I wouldn't believe him. I'd be like, prove it. He's totally proven that he has the power of God on his side, and yet the disciples are totally doubting him. Here's the reality. No matter how many times we've seen God move, our human nature gets the best of us, and you may have, and in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus for many years, you probably have stories that you can think of, times where God did something. Maybe it was a feeling at camp or at home or something where you just felt the presence of God so strongly Maybe it was a situation, a sin, or a struggle, and God delivered you from it. Maybe it was a literal miracle where you saw someone in your life get healed. Someone delivered from something gnarly. And that's happened to all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have at least once seen God do something amazing in your life, not to mention the fact that he died on the cross for us, the most amazing thing he could possibly do. But we just forget. We forget Just like the children of Israel literally saw him part the Red Sea, but they still wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they kept forgetting how great God is. And the question is, how does Jesus deal with our unbelief? I want to share two stories with you from the Bible. The first is in the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew 8, verse 5 through 13. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, that's a Roman soldier, came to him pleading with him, saying, "'Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented.' And Jesus said to him, "'I will come to him and heal him.' Then the centurion answered, "'Lord, listen, I'm not worthy that you should even come under my roof.'" But just speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. And I say to my soldiers, I say, hey, you go, and you go over there. And and they go, and they do what I say. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed, guys, seriously, I say to you... I have not found such great faith, not even among the Israelites. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the son of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So this is a situation where Jesus finds somebody who is a believing believer. And he's not even a Jew. He's a Roman. He's like a part of the enemy of Israel. And yet he believes in Jesus so much, he's like, yeah, like seriously, don't even come to my house. Like, Just say that my servant's healed, and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus is like, oh my goodness, you're amazing. Yes, I will answer that prayer. Fantastic. Now let's look at another story, though. So this is in, I think... Mark forgot the reference. No idea. Just look it up. It's Jesus heals the demonic boy. Verse 14, when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes scribes were disputing with him. And immediately they saw him. All the people were greatly amazed, and they ran over and greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowds said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down on the ground, and he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes just solid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they couldn't. So then Jesus looks at his disciples trying to cast out this demon, and they say, Faithless generation, unbelieving believers, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Just bring him to me. So they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and he wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked the father, saying, How long has this been happening to this kid? And the father said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Sir, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father cried out and said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Now this captures the, just the spirit of, I think, being human, of being a follower of God, I think we're constantly saying this. Like Even if we don't actually say these words, I feel like we're constantly saying to God, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I want to trust you, but life is so hard right now. I want to put my faith in you. I want to believe your promises are true. I want to believe you have the best for me, but the things around me don't make me feel that way. Even I know that you're in the midst of the storm with me, the storm around me is so intense. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. We look at God at church, and it's like God is so good, but then we turn on the news, and we look at war. We look at millions of kids being killed in abortion. We look at disease in our own family, people getting sick, people that we love, growing old, growing sick, and dying, sometimes at a young age, and it's just like, Lord, I want to believe, but help me with my unbelief. And you know what Jesus does in that story? Two things. He confronts the unbelief. He looks at his disciples, and he says, guys, come on. Like, you've seen what I can do. You know my power. Like, why, why aren't you believing? But that's not all he does. He helps the unbelieving believer. Jesus doesn't say to that dad, because it kind of seems like the story's going that way. Like, he's looking at the dad, and he's like, yeah, if you just believe, I mean, all things are possible. And the dad says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And Jesus doesn't look at him and say, well, I mean, if you really believed, then I'd heal. But eh, yeah, it's not enough. No, in the story, he heals the man's son. He casts the demon out. Jesus helps the unbelieving believer. He doesn't refuse us. Jesus is patient with unbelieving believers. Remember the story of Peter. Peter's in the boat with the disciples. Jesus comes walking on the water, and Peter is a believer, all of the other disciples are freaking out. They're like, it's a ghost. We're gonna die. This is terrible. Peter believes. He says, no way, that's Jesus. And if he can walk on water, I can do it too. And he gets out of the boat and he starts walking on water. He's a believing believer. But then in an instant, he sees the storm. He sees the waves. He sees the water, the lightning, the thunder flashing. And in an instant, Peter becomes an unbelieving believer. He knows Jesus is walking on water. He can see it. He hasn't lost his faith that Jesus can walk on the water. He's lost his faith that he can stay on the water. And as a huge wave is coming towards him, Peter loses his faith and starts sinking. Jesus doesn't look at him and say, I need to find a new Peter. This guy's a chump. Have fun drowning. No, Jesus reaches his hand down and pulls Peter out of the water. Jesus is patient with the unbelieving believer. Think of Doubting Thomas. What a bummer to get the nickname Doubting Thomas. Like the Bible doesn't call him Doubting Thomas, but that's just our nickname for him because it's mentioned several times that he doubted. Or maybe just once, I think just once, and that's just like his nickname forever. It's like, hey, don't be a Doubting Thomas. Don't do it, you stinking Doubting Thomas. If your name is Thomas, you've probably been called Doubting Thomas a lot. Anytime you doubt, it's just Oh, you're doubting Thomas. No, I'm just a human. I'm just doubting. It's normal. Is doubting Thomas rejected for his doubting? No. When Jesus comes back from the dead, they're all talking, and Thomas is like, I don't believe he's back from the dead. I saw him on the cross. I saw him die. The only way I'm going to believe is if he shows up and lets me stick my hands through the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet. Does Jesus, like, grab Thomas, throw him out of the room and say, forget you, and then he shows up? No. Jesus shows up and Thomas is actually the first person he goes to. He goes to Thomas and says, Thomas, I love you. Check it out stick your hands through there, right through the holes in my hands. I love you, Thomas. I'm here. It's amazing. Jesus is patient with the unbelieving believer. Like, if you've ever struggled with doubt and then the guilt that comes with it, because you're like, I can't, I just can't believe as much as Pastor Aaron or Pastor Rob or Brooklyn. Hey, check it out. We go through moments of doubt and unbelief all the time. We struggle all the time, believing that God is really as good as he says. And he is, and he's dedicated to showing us that. If you struggle with doubt, he can handle it. I want to show you guys a quote from a guy named Oswald Chambers, who is just like, hey, ladies, (laughs) it's awkward. I pulled up that picture of him, and I was frightened. I like closed down the window right away. I was like, ugh, I don't want to look at his face. Now you're all staring at him. But here's what he said. Oswald Chambers says, faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who's leading. That's what it's about. Childlike faith, trusting the Lord, even if we're scared along the way holding to his hand and saying, I am seriously doubting that where you're leading me is the best place for me, but I'm gonna keep holding to your hand. I'm gonna keep trusting, even though I'm really having a hard time and I don't know if I'm completely trusting, I'm still gonna hold on. That's what it's about. Now, one of the goals of faith is to grow in faith. Our doubts should never be left alone. Our doubts should never just be, that's why I've always tried to make this a youth group that's about questions, where we can ask questions. A lot of times on our Wednesday nights at my house, we do series that are completely devoted to questions. We're in one right now. One of the goals of growth in faith is to answer our doubts. Doubt should lead to answers and growth. Doubt is not bad if it pushes us to find truth. So how can we grow? Well, the first way I think we need to grow is to realize that we need Jesus's help. There was a comedian named Milton Berle who said, if you don't hear opportunity knocking, build a door. This is very American thinking for us. It's just like, yeah, like, go out and be your own person. And if you don't see a door, like, go build one. Like, go make your own opportunities. And we can totally be this way, even with our own doubts. We start to doubt, and instead of turning to God, we turn to others. We turn to the Internet. We go and we try to figure everything out for ourselves, and a lot of times we fall on our face. And if you've spent any time trying to earn your salvation, if you've spent any time trying to just be a good person, you'll realize what Jonathan Edwards said. This is a gnarly quote. Mr. Edwards says this. Your wickedness makes you, as it were, as heavy as lead, and it pulls you downward with great weight and pressure towards hell, and if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf, and your good character and your own care and cautiousness and your best plans and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. That's gnarly but it's true, our own efforts can't save us. Peter couldn't pull himself up into that boat. The minute he started sinking, all he had was Jesus. If he would've tried to do anything else, he would've drowned, but Jesus reached out his hand. Here's the second thing we need to do to grow. Take every thought captive. There's a speaker named Luis L. Hay, and she says every thought we think is creating our future. This is totally true. Our actions come from our thoughts. And so many times our thoughts are filled with doubts and discouragement. And we focus on the bad parts of our life and the bad situations we're in. But Jesus is always saying, in the Bible it says, take every thought captive. When a thought comes to your head, don't just, like seriously guys, when you have a doubt, when you have a discouragement, don't just brush it under the rug. Don't just go... Well, I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't have these doubts. I shouldn't be thinking about this because I'm a Christian, so I should just not think about it. Guys, when you you suppress those thoughts, when you just sweep them under the rug, you know what they do? While they're under that rug, they get bigger, and they grow larger. And then they come out, maybe when you go to college, or maybe if you've been homeschooled and you start going to public school, and your teacher starts challenging the Lord, those doubts crawl back out, and they're huge now. And the next thing you know, you lose your faith. We need to wrestle with God. We need to seek and ask. I would challenge you, when you have doubts, steady. Go, there, we have so much resources now on the internet to steady our questions about God. There's so many resources that you can use. Like I will buy you a steady Bible, like an apologetic study Bible that has answers to common questions text me if you have any questions or doubts about anything i love i have a few guys in the youth group who like after Wednesday night sometimes they'll be like hey i didn't understand this and this kind of like i don't know about that what do you think and we'll text back and forth and it's so rad i love questions i like don't ever think that i just expect you to just take everything i say and go oh sounds good i believe that no like i understand that i'm going to say things up here and you're going to sit there and go yeah but i don't know like guys you don't wanna just let that stuff slide. We need to ask. Um, Selah's dad, Charlie, he has a website called alwaysbeready.org, and it's like answers to like pretty much any question you can think of. I use it all the time, it's fantastic. Like just, it's so good to seek, to not just go, I'm just gonna coast off of whatever the pastor says at church, no, be your own believer. Seek out knowledge, seek out truth, don't let those doubts linger. The third thing is follow even when it makes no sense. Anyone here the logical thinker type? Anybody? Like you're like, I'll do it, but it has to make sense. There has to be a systematic formula that I know will work. It's not how God works. When God showed up to Abraham, he said, hey, I want you to move. And Abraham said, where? And God said, somewhere. You'll find out one day. And God leads Abraham through the desert with his wife, Sarah. And then he says, hey, you're going to have a baby. When? One day. Okay. So can I know where I'm moving now? Nope. (laughs) And he's just wandering around. And then he turns 90, and they still haven't had a baby yet. And God's like, it's going to happen one day. And Abraham's like, like literally, him and his wife, it says they laugh. They're like, God, you're so funny. (laughs) We're 90. It doesn't work that way. Like, just, we're not gonna have a baby. And God's like, oh, no, you are. God, where are we moving? You'll find out one day. Oh, my goodness. Like, I'm glad God hasn't brought me through that, at least. It's, that's, that's awesome. Anyway, God's awesome. And he loves us. And his plan isn't always going to make sense, but that's okay. There was a story I read of a guy who... Um, he had just gotten saved. It's the 1970s. The God had just freed him from drugs and alcohol addiction. And he's just—he's free, and he's loving life, and he wants to reach people for the Lord. And he's like, man, I want to share the good news. And God says, oh, sweet, I've got a plan for you. And the guy's thinking, like, am I going to be the next Billy Graham? Am I going to be this evangelist? So he's walking through this neighborhood, and God said, here's my plan for you. And the guy's listening to the, you know, that quiet voice in your heart where God speaks, And God says, here's my plan. And the guy's like, what's your plan? And God says, I want you to scream into mailboxes. And the guy's like, are you kidding me? God's like, no. I want you to go over to that mailbox, open it up, and scream the gospel into it. And the guy's thinking like, Lord, I've got long hair, a dirty mustache, bell-bottom pants. If I scream into that mailbox, people in this neighborhood are going to think I am high. They're going to think I am tripping right now. God said, just do it. So he's like, oh, I don't believe this is what you, like, this is crazy. But he does it. He goes over to a mailbox, opens it up, and he says, Jesus loves you. He died for you on the cross. He's got a plan for you. He loves you so much. Ah. <laughs> just, ah. And he looks around, and like people in the neighborhood are staring at him, and he's just like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is really awkward. And he's backing away. All of a sudden, a guy, crazy, wild-haired old man, runs out of his house in his bathrobe and says, who screamed that? And the guy's thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get shot. And then he looks, and the guy's holding a gun in his hand. And he's like, oh, man, now I'm really going to get shot. And he lifts his hand and goes, it was me. And the old man said, I was just about to commit suicide. When I heard what you screamed, tell me more about this Jesus. True story. Amazing stuff. Like just, God's plan isn't always going to make sense. It's not going to fit into our logical boxes. But the key to Christian life is not that it makes sense. It's simply that you follow. One final word as we wrap up today. Jesus answered them. Look at verse 31. We're going to talk about how Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus answered them. He says, do you really believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, it has now come that you will be scattered. You're all gonna forsake me. And then verse 33, he says, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus totally shows us what faith looks like. He models faith for us. He says, everyone's leaving me, but I'm not alone. I have God the Father. And Jesus' words are like a roller coaster ride. He starts out by saying, Do you believe? Do you really believe? It's like that moment in the roller coaster where you're going up the track and you're scared of what's going to come next. You're like, uh, I don't know. This, this is going to be scary. What's Jesus saying? He's totally like dumping on us right now. Like, do you guys really believe in me? And he says, You'll forsake me. But then he says, I want to say something that will give you peace. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, this is sweet. He wants to give us peace. And then he says, you're going to suffer. And they're like, that doesn't give us peace. But then he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. That's awesome. He's saying, I have defeated the world. I have, like, anything you could possibly face, any trial, any difficulty, any war, any famine, any disease, any social dilemma at school where you say the wrong thing and all of a sudden everyone hates you, any horrible situation like last week I told you where I posted 45 pictures on Instagram in one day and was immediately hated by everyone in the world and totally deserved it (laughs) for just being an idiot. Jesus says, I've overcome it. I've overcome every trial you could go through. G.K. Chesterton says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. it is found difficult, and not been tried. And it's hard. It's hard to be a believer. And it makes me think of when Jesus says, take heart, in this passage. He says, take heart, for I've overcome the world. That language, take heart, it's used in another Bible story. It's used in the story where Paul the Apostle is on a boat, and he's about to be shipwrecked. His boat's about to be torn apart, and everyone on the boat is freaking out, and they think we're, they're think like, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, this is gonna be terrible, and then Paul looks at the people on the ship, and he says, God has spoken to me that the ship is going to be destroyed, but no one's going to die. He says, take heart, for God is with us. And I love the language of take heart, because I looked up the, the words take heart and what that means biblically. Take To take heart, it means not just like be brave, Or like reach into someone's chest and pull out their heart like Indiana Jones. Like that's not what it's talking about. To take heart means take courage based on a fact. I love that language. Take heart based on something that you know factually. And for us, just like Paul, factually knew that God showed up to him on that boat and says, you will not die. And he knew that was a fact because God had appeared to him. We can take heart because fact, Jesus loves us. Fact, he has a plan for us. Fact, he died for us so that we didn't have to die forever. Fact, he's coming back one day and he's going to remove all the suffering and pain that you go through in your life right now. He is going to take that away forever and restore his kingdom to the place it was always meant to be, where life is perfect and there are no troubles. Hakuna Matata. Anyway, belief in Jesus changes everything. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Chronicles of Narnia said this, and I love this quote. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by everything, or by it, I see everything else. He's talking about the sun. He believes in the sun, not just because he sees it rising, but because of the sun, he's able to see everything else. The sun actually affects the way he sees the world. Is that not true? The way that we see the world, isn't it different at night than it is in the day? We can see things more clearly. It's warmer. That's one thing. Like, it just, it affects everything. As the sun is up, it affects you. In the same way, he believes in God, and he says, I I believe in God not just because I see him in the Bible, but because when I believe in him, it affects the way I see everything else. It changes my perspective on everything I go through, good and bad. I love that. So to wrap up, um, in conclusion, I think there are times where we we think we can't take heart, because we have so much fear and doubt, and we ask, where is God? And I wanna revisit some lyrics that we looked at last week, because they're so good. So there's this band called Monsters of Folk that I love, I showed you guys last week, um, three guys from different bands, and they come together, and they put together this song called Dear God, and it's just so good. I know we looked at it last week, but there's another layer of it I want to show you. So you've got Jim James from My Morning Jacket, and he gives this line at the beginning. Dear God, I'm trying hard to reach you. Dear God, I see your face, and all I do, sometimes it's so hard to believe in, but good God, I know you have your reasons. He is the unbelieving believer. He's the guy who, he's like, God, I love you. I know you're there, but I'm doubting. I'm struggling, please help me. Then you've got M. Ward, the believing believer. He says, dear God, I see you move the mountains. Dear God, I see you move the trees. Sometimes it's, it's nothing to believe in because sometimes it's everything I see. Very similar to the C.S. Lewis quote. Then you've got the atheist, Connor War, or Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes. And he says, dear God, I wish that I could touch you How strange, sometimes I feel I almost do. Then I'm back behind the glass again. God, what keeps you out, it keeps me in. He's speaking about how his sin makes him feel like himself, and it's his rejection of God that makes him feel like the person that he wants to be, and he doesn't realize that that actually is keeping him from what he wants. He wishes that he could touch God, but he can't because his sin keeps him from the God who so desperately wants to reach down and touch him. But then there's the chorus in this song. And I remember I was like, I first heard this song, and I was like kinda jamming to it, and I was like, this song is so good. Oh my goodness, I love this song. And then I got to the chorus, and that's where all three of the guys, plus their bassist, Mike, but he just played the bass, so he wasn't really singing, but anyway. um, So the three guys, they said in the chorus, together they sing, well I've been thinking a lot, and I've been breaking it down without an answer. I know I'm thinking aloud, but if your love's still around, Why do we suffer? Why do we suffer? And when that line came up, I was like, oh, like, am I allowed to enjoy this song when it's like questioning God? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm a pastor. Like, should I be listening to this? Like, it makes me feel kind of weird. And then I remembered, though, that in the Bible, it gets even gnarlier. There's people in the Bible who question God even gnarlier than that. Look at the story of Job. So the story of Job is there's this guy. He's basically perfect. He's like this great businessman, great father, loves the Lord, follows Yahweh, and then Satan shows up and says, I'm gonna mess with him. I'm gonna make him so mad at God that he curses God. He cusses God out and says, I don't want anything to do with you, and leave. So it's like this, this bet between God and Satan where Satan's like, I'm gonna make this guy an unbelieving unbeliever. I'm gonna take away his faith completely, and so, he attacks Job. He sends hurricanes and earthquakes to kill his family. Everyone in his family dies. He's got all these kids, they all die. His animals die, his business falls apart, his home gets destroyed. Literally, all he has left is his wife and his wife basically is this terrible lady who just says, Job, you stink. Just You should cuss out God and die. See ya, like that's, what a bummer to be left with her. So lame. And so Job, there's this passage where Job says this. He says to God... I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. Am I a sea monster or a dragon that you must place me under guard? I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery. But then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. I would rather be strangled than die and suffer like this. I hate my life and I don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. He says this to God. This is a man who has so many sores and boils on his body that he's breaking rocks and plates, trying to scratch his sores off. He's a bloody mess. He says... What are people? He says this to God. He says, what are are people that you should make so much of us, that you should think of us so often, for you examine us every morning and you test us every moment. Why don't you leave me alone, God, at least long enough for me to swallow? If I have sinned, then what have I done to you, O watcher of humanity? Why make me your target? Am Am I a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be be gone. Gosh, this is in the Bible. Like, this isn't, like, some gnarly song with, like, a rap beat behind it of someone, like, cursing God. This is a man who is, like, going through the gnarliest time in his life, and he's calling out God and saying, God, why? And if you've ever done that, and I, it probably hasn't been as gnarly as this, or maybe it has, but if it has in any way been gnarly, you questioning God and asking him, why are these things going, know you're in good company, Job, one of the people in the Bible the book was named after, questioned God in this way. Now, does God kill Job? Does he say, "Eh, I'm tired of you complaining, squish? No. He says, Job, I'm here, and there's things you don't understand about me or what I'm doing, but I am here, and I love you. Job, I'm with you through the pain. And in the story of Job, Job, even though he has moments of doubt, he continues to trust God There's moments where he is hardcore an unbelieving believer, but he still believes, and he trusts. And it's that paradox that the disciples find themselves in, that Job found himself in, and that maybe today you find yourself in right now. You need to know that God loves you if you're in this space, and he wants to help. Job holds on for hope, and God gives him everything back. He heals him. He gives him his business back he gives him his family back. He has more kids with his wife. Just, just, All of a sudden, just everything goes perfect. Everything's restored. And this book, this story, to me, is, it's, it's foreshadowing to the future hope that we have that even though maybe your situation won't be like Job, maybe things will get bad and they'll just get worse, and then you'll die, or Jesus will come back. But either way, the hope we look forward to Is not in things being perfect in this life. The hope that we look forward to is resurrection. When Jesus comes back or when we die and we go to see him and we fast forward to that moment when Jesus comes back, everything is restored. Everything is renewed. All brokenness is healed. It's just, it's fantastic. I was talking to a kid recently, a Christian kid, who mom and dad are divorced and they're Christians and just the pain of that, of watching, like, you're Christians, like, you're supposed to get along, you're you're supposed to be my mom and dad, like, what's going on? And I was so excited to tell this young man, I was like, dude, you know what's awesome? When Jesus comes back, he's going to fix all brokenness, which means mom and dad are going to be friends again. Isn't that fantastic? In God's kingdom, your parents are going to hang out and love each other. Like, they're going to be friends again. Like, just... Like, you're gonna be able to be in community, like, in a friendship with your mom and dad together. It's, just, it's fantastic. It's our hope. I wanna end with this video that I wanna show you guys I'm just a young man who struggled because I think his story maybe might connect with some of you. And we're just gonna watch this video and then we're gonna be done. So as you watch this, I pray or I ask that you would just take this into your heart Um, If God's been speaking to you this morning, I pray that this video would just sink everything in for you and that you would understand the hope that you have in believing even when you doubt. So here we go.
1: Sometimes I don't understand why things happen the way that they do because some things are so difficult to go through. Like, why would God allow this to happen to me? What did I do so wrong that He would forsake me? Because it didn't seem like this was supposed to happen. I prayed and prayed, but things just didn't seem to go my way. Is God just trying to break me? Because if so, He succeeded, and now I'm bleeding. All I want him to do is take away the pain, but he allowed it to stay. I feel like an untreated wound, hoping for someone to treat it soon. I was hit with an impact that pierced me harder than a harpoon. The storms I've been going through feel like a giant monsoon. I don't know what to do. Shattered to pieces, my heart barely beating, my world stopped. Is this real? As I looked at the clock, trying to grasp it all, but everything feels like it's starting to fall apart. I don't even know where to start. Maybe it's because I have a broken heart. July 4th, 2014, one of my good friends was taken from me. He was only 23. He was in a car accident, completely innocent, just a passenger in the hands of someone who caused this massacre from being a drunk driver. All the days on my dirt bike were in my head. It tears me apart inside because now he's dead. That same day, I had to bring my cat to the hospital. He was a part of my life for 13 years. I was shedding tears, my companion dying in my hands as his whole life expanded before my very eyes as I said goodbye. That following day, my cousin got a call that his dad passed away. I embraced him, but the pain chased him. I said, I'm here for you, cuz, and I love you trying to comfort my cousin who was my older brother, losing his father who was my dad's brother, my uncle Frank, who can never be replaced. Not even a month later, things didn't get any greater. The girl that I love with all my heart wanted us to be apart. She said, we weren't really fit for each other from the start, I'm sorry to break your heart, but remember, I'll always love you. It wasn't long after that, she was with someone new barely carrying myself through I was dejected fully affected and feeling completely disconnected trying to contemplate why things were happening this way the house I've been living in my whole life is now going to be changed for the rest of my life all the memories that were created are fading 21 years I've spent here now is going to disappear something started echoing in my ears the phone started to ring I didn't even want to pick up but I'm glad I picked up I said what's up All I could hear were the tears of my close friend, Frank, saying, could you please pray with me tonight? I don't know how long my mother will have her life. Doctors say tonight might be her last. Please pray with me so God can make this last. Tears running down my face as I prayed for Frank's mother, Carol, who he holds so dear, praying that God will have a miracle tonight and save her life. After praying with all my heart, Carol felt God coming in closer to her heart, and it wasn't long before God took her home to heaven. And then I questioned... And then I said, God, why are you doing this? Why are you taking away everything that I love? Why are you hurting me? Why are you doing this to my family? I thought you loved me. You know I'm crushed. I don't have anything left. All I could do was hold my hands to my chest. You know I'm stressed and depressed. Is this just a test because everything feels like a huge mess? Don't you recognize I need you? Where are you? I need to see you. My feet clap. As my knees hit the ground, I started to hear this sound. This profound voice started to speak through me. I was shaking physically as the Lord said, listen to me, for I alone am with thee and will bring you about to another realm. For the Lord thy God will live with thy and all will be well. So trust my will, for I will bring much joy. And boy, did the Lord bring that joy. The sun came over that crest as I started to feel blessed, shining bright, revealing the light God brought in my life. Everything started to go just right. I was enlightened and before I was frightened, I never felt this way and I know God took away the pain, but you see, I couldn't get there until I was ready. I had to travel through the mist of the night before God could take me to new heights. The most beautiful things in life are the ones that change your life. God changed my life and he can change yours too. You see, your struggles were never meant to destroy you. Your pain was never meant to break you. As fire purifies gold, our faith is put to the test and is far more precious than mere gold. Faith that God is in absolute control and is making you whole. So let it go and be confident in our hope. He will break down barriers along with all your failures, turning your past mistakes to dust. You must trust. God loves you too much to ever let you get stuck. You must struggle because struggle builds strength and strength builds character, taking you into the character God called you to be who no one else can be. You are one of a kind, a treasure in God's eyes. These storms were never meant to make you mourn, but rather to make you become reborn, making you move into something new. God doesn't give you the people you want. He gives you the people you need to help you, to hurt you, to leave you, to love you, and to make you the person you are meant to be. And once you recognize these things, you will see. Your loved ones are citizens of heaven. you will see again your broken relationships prepare you for someone who truly loves you and will not leave you your mistakes bring you one step closer to your successes because God could take any mess and make a message you are precious after you suffered a little while he will confirm you restore you and strengthen you God has plans to prosper you not to harm you because he loves you